verses 9 through 18. And the word of the Lord came to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars and your prophets, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left, and now they're trying to kill me too. And the Lord said, Go and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. And then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper, and when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over his face and went out and stood at the mouth of the cave. Then a voice said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant and broken down your altars and put your prophets to death with a sword. I am the only one left, and now they are trying to kill me too. And the Lord said to him, Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. And when you get there, anoint Hazel, king over Aram, and also anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, king over Israel, and anoint Elijah, son of Shapheth, from from Abel Moholiah to succeed you as prophet. Jehu will put to death any who escaped the sword of Hazel, and Elijah will put to death any who escaped the sword of Jehu. And yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal, and whose mouths have not kissed him. Now this is a fascinating section of scripture because you've come to, we've come to this point and Elijah back in 1 Kings 18 has done this great battle with the prophets of Baal. Remember there were the 400 prophets of Baal, the dancing all around, and Elijah has called down fire from heaven. And you see that we come here and Elijah is in the midst of a thing that we would probably call pouting. Because right after Baal's the showdown with Baal. Remember, Queen Jezebel has said that she's going to kill him and has sent word to him that she's going to kill him. And so Elijah has taken off. He has run all the way down to Beersheba, which is 200 miles away. It's the furthest south that he could go from Mount Carmel. He has gotten as far away as he could, dropped his servant off, and then gone further into the wilderness. And then... He begins a journey that takes him 40 days to get to Mount Sinai because he is headed to Mount Sinai and where this takes place is on Mount Sinai. And Elijah had, it's an interesting time in his life because he has come through a major battle. He has seen God do great things and yet at the word of one individual, he has been put to flight. He has gotten to the place where he is even ready to die. He's ready for the Lord to take his life. He's gotten so burnt out, so beaten down. Now I know that never happens to anybody in this room. You never get burnt out. You never get beat down. You never get discouraged or depressed. But if you did, if that were ever to occur to you, This becomes a great situation to look at. Because what we see is we see God responding to his servant. 
but not in the way that a servant deserves. Because surely, after having seen fire come down from heaven, after having seen God do all these great things, the Lord would have been justified in saying, Elijah, what the heck is wrong with you? Good thing Teresa's not in here. She does not like that H-E-C-K word. Especially not from the pulpit. Surely, you would figure that God's prophet who has seen people raised from the dead, has seen this great battle, has seen all these prophets of Baal get defeated. There would be no reason for him to be discouraged. And yet he is. James says that Elijah was a man of like passions. Meaning he was like us. And we get beat down. We get knocked around. You will get to the place where you will feel like you're the only person that's serving the Lord. I am sure there are times in your lives, even in the middle of the week, where you're going, oh my gosh, I'm the only saved person in this entire area. Even though you know that there are other people at church. But it feels like you're all alone. It feels like nobody can understand where you are. And that's why in this situation I love seeing that the Lord comes to him and says, Elijah, what are you doing here? Doesn't scold him. He's given him food ahead of this in the verses prior, so that would be verses 1 through 8. If you want to go back and see it, and it's an amazing thing because he has one meal or two meals that the angel serves him, and he goes for 40 days on the strength of that meal. Okay, because God will give you what you need to get through whatever situation you happen to find yourself in. And He'll do it in such a way that it's absolutely astounding because one or two meals from the Lord are far better than anything else. And it sustains Him and takes Him in a journey across the desert. And they speculate that Elijah did this because it should have only taken him seven to ten days to go from Beersheba up to Mount Sinai. But it takes him 40 days. 40 significant because, oh, who else spent 40-something? <laughs> the Israelites spent 40 years. So was Elijah recreating a journey where a day was as a year that he might remember who the Lord is? I don't know, but he gets to the mountain and he's still pretty discouraged. So I kind of get that feeling that perhaps there's a little unbelief, even though he's been ministered to by an angel, that he has received food from the Lord, has seen miraculous things, and yet he finds himself out wandering in the desert. Or maybe he's just simply trying to understand what Moses went through because he's dealing with Moses' people and they're very stubborn and he's gotten to this place where he thinks he's the only one serving the Lord. Either way, he spends 40 days out there and gets to this place and has the Lord ask him a question. And it's fascinating what occurs next because the Lord says... Prepare yourself. I'm going to pass by. I'm going to come by. And what happens? There's a mighty wind. There's an earthquake. There's fire. Now, I know that you may not remember exactly where it was, but in Exodus 19, verse 16, it says, On the morning of the third day, there was thunder and lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast. 
Everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. When God appeared and gave the law, there were these signs. These are miraculous signs. These are big signs. And yet in this passage, it says that Elijah didn't go out. He wasn't moved by the spectacle. Because he was there to meet with God. And God wasn't in the wind. He wasn't in the earthquake. And he wasn't in the fire. It wasn't until Elijah hears the still, gentle voice that he wraps himself in his cloak and goes out to meet with the Lord. But what happens in our lives? We expect God to meet us in power. We expect there to be a big display. We expect there to be signs and wonders and big things. And oftentimes, God will deal with us one-on-one, quietly. Which tends to be better for you. But I know you like to have the signs. You want to have the big signs. Because that's what I did. I love big signs that are unmistakable. I need those. I tend to tell the Lord that that's the best way to communicate with me. Because I like it if he could put an arrow out and kind of point me in the direction, make it exactly clear on which way to go. Because that works so much better for me. I like it. It's, oh, look, there's a nice lighted path. I'll follow that. You know, it's kind of like on the airplane when you get into trouble, in case you've never had this experience. If you're ever on a plane and it runs into trouble, the little lights light up on the aisleway. Sorry, Linda, we didn't share this with you before your trip. We didn't want you to freak out. Because <laughs> it also comes on when they turn the power, when they cycle on the plane. So it kind of sometimes freaks people out if those emergency lights suddenly light up. Because they go, oh my gosh, what happened? Nothing, we're still at the gate, it'll be okay. <laughs> but that's what happens in our lives. We want those big signs. But we have to know how to find the Lord. This is a time when Elijah is incredibly discouraged. He has seen God do amazing things. But it's not always in the power. Because God's power can be exercised just as it was with the woman with the issue of blood. It wasn't a big sign. It wasn't a big thunderclap. It was simply a woman who responded by faith and pressed through the crowd and touched the hem of his garment and was healed. God doesn't always move in the big ways in our lives because we're going to be able to hear him better in the quiet. Mm. Or sometimes it's just like when a storm hits the ocean. The hurricane that just went through, they've had a pile of stuff be discovered. Every time there's a big storm, it washes up stuff out of the ocean. There's always stuff that comes floating up and ends up on shore. And so there's been Civil War artifacts that have been found. All sorts of interesting things that have been found because the storm churned up the waters. And sometimes we get into circumstances in our lives and the power seems to be there and all it is is simply a thing to just churn up what needs to be discovered. Because sometimes you've got to go through those situations and find out, no, it wasn't in the wind. No, it wasn't in the earthquake. 
No, it wasn't in the fire. It was after all of that that God came and met me. Sometimes we get storms in our lives and we get all discombobulated and we forget because we want God to stop the storm in the middle of the storm. And God's looking at it going, I'm going to take you through that so that you'll know. That's how you know your boat's good is when you take your boat through a storm. That's when you learn how good it is. They can tell you that it's unsinkable, but until you go through a major storm and you go through in that boat and go, wow, this is amazing. I didn't capsize. Then you have total confidence. I told you about that storm with my uncle on the pontoon boat. I thought it was the worst constructed boat I'd ever been on. Because it seemed like it was a great big flat thing. And we're rolling down the side of 10-foot waves. And I'm going, we're all going to die. Because that, from my perspective, was where we were. And that's what it felt like. The wind was blowing. The waves were rolling. And I went, we're going to die. And my grandfather's sitting in a deck chair. Not even fastened down. Doesn't even blink. Because he knew the boat design was good. It wasn't going to capsize. That that pontoon boat was very hard to capsize. I still won't go back out on the water in a pontoon boat if I even see a, see a cloud. But I learned, and sometimes we learn through our experiences. And Elijah's in this. And he's learning from this experience with the Lord. He's learning that in spite of everything, God's dealing with him with mercy. He's not getting what he deserves. God is reaching out to him. How awesome is it that the Lord God is still willing to reach out to us even when we lose faith, even when it seems so difficult and so discouraging that we walk away and we go, oh God, I can't stand this anymore. I'd rather be in the desert wandering around out there than anywhere else. Your people are driving me insane. Not one of them has stood. Notice what he says, and he says it twice. Elijah, what are you doing here? God, I'm the only one. I'm the only one. They've all backslidden. It's horrible. They're pagans. It's awful. Not one of them has any faith. Even though he's already seen people that were willing to stand and kill the prophets of Baal. He's had this great victory. But we can get so discouraged by life we can so inner focus that we get consumed by it. And then we think the only way we can get out of it is with power. But it isn't always with the power that we think. Because the Scripture says that the Lord has made us more than conquerors. We are victorious already in Him, and yet we walk around as though we're defeated because we get beat down. It's sometimes you've got to take a nap Sometimes you get so tired and you're still trying to press on and you actually need to step away and just rest and let the Lord heal you. Rest under the shadow of His wing and renew your strength. But we don't allow ourselves to do that because we go, oh, I can't do that. No, I can't do that. I mustn't stop. I've got to keep pressing on. And yet you're getting more and more discouraged and the enemy's able to reach in and so doubt into your mind. There's hope in this. Because when he goes out to meet with the Lord, the Lord tells him, okay, what are you doing here? Notice the questions asked the second time. Same thing that happens to Jonah. 
Third chapter, verse, verse 1. It's one of those things. And sometimes the Lord will have you go all the way back to the beginning. Because that's what He does. He has them go all the way back to the beginning. Just as He did with Abraham. In Genesis 13, you see Abraham going back to where it all started. You see it in Genesis 35 with Jacob. He has to go back to the beginning. Because sometimes that's what it takes is going back to the very beginning of your relationship with the Lord and renewing it there that you would know. Even though he's seen God do great things, even though he's been serving the Lord for all these years, the Lord still has him return back to the beginning because that's where the faith was founded. And sometimes you've got to go back so that you're able to say, yes, the Lord loves me. Because that's the most important thing you can get into your mind and heart. Because if the Lord loves you, you can make it through anything. It doesn't matter what anybody else says. It doesn't matter what the pagan queen has to say. Sometimes when you go back, that's where you have the hope. Because you refresh in your mind and in your soul what the Lord is doing in you. That it's in His strength and His power that we can do anything. We are weak, but He is made strong through our weaknesses. He will receive all the glory and the honor because you are very aware of how little you can do without Him. That's what it takes sometimes. So this hope that comes out of it, even though His prophet is showing incredible lack of faith, God still has a job for him. He sends him to go and anoint a Jewish king. Not first. Not first. Instead, he ends up with a difficult assignment. The Lord sends him to go and anoint Hazel, or Hazel. Yeah, let's go with Hazel. That's so much easier. But he has him go and anoint Hazel, Jehu, and Elisha. And that's because he's fulfilling Psalm 103.10. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor punished us according to our iniquities. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. He's not done with them. Elijah has not taken himself out of the blessing of the Lord. He hasn't been pushed aside. Oh, you failed. Oh, you didn't do it the way you should have. When I'm sure there would have been a lot of people that could have really helped out Elijah and told him how far he missed the mark. But instead of that, instead of getting scolded by the Lord, the Lord says, I still have work for you to do. That's awesome. That's an amazing thing that God is still willing to use him. Because it means that no matter where you are today, that God isn't done with you either. There's hope for you as well. That you have not discounted or cut yourself out of it because you can turn back to the Lord. And sometimes that's what it takes. It's just turning back to the Lord and saying, okay, God, I don't understand. I don't know why it had to go the way it did. But if you can still use me, use me. 
In Genesis 35, then God said to Jacob, Go up to Bethel and settle there and build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you were fleeing from your brother Esau. And so Jacob said to his whole household and all who were with him, Get rid of all the foreign gods you have with you and purify yourselves and change your clothes. And then come, let us go up to Bethel where I will build an altar to the God, to God who answered me in the day of my distress, who has been with me wherever I have gone. And that's important. Because you need to know that God will meet you in your day of distress. That He will meet you exactly when you need Him. And we realize in those times, wait a second, God's been with me this whole time. I thought I was alone, but I wasn't. He was here. He gave us hope. And when you see that happening in the Bible to other people, it means there's hope for you too. Because you can take it and understand that God will do the same to you because He is immutable, unchanging. He will continue to be faithful to His name and all that He does. Which means He will be faithful to you in your day of distress. You just have to turn and look for Him. No matter how much or how often His servants fail Him, God is never at a loss of what to do. Saul was no longer fit to be king. So God has Samuel anoint David. But when you look back at that account, you also see God coming to Samuel and going, How long will you weep for this man? How long will you sit here and pout? Get up and go. And sometimes that's what has to happen. We have to get up and get going. I know, you didn't think that was in the Scriptures, but it is. Get up and go. Might be a little bit more of my paraphrase, but it's there. Joshua, brokenhearted because of Israel's defeat at Ai, spent a day on his face before the Lord. And again, God answered, God's answer was, get up, why are you lying on your face? Joshua 7.10 Sometimes we have to stop the pity and move on with the Lord. What's done is done. Move on from this point. That's why when we started singing today, today is the day. Because each day is a new beginning. It's a new opportunity to say, I will lay aside those things that have been grabbing a hold of me and I will go forward with you, Lord. That's one of the best things is that God allows us to do that, to move on with Him. Don't let the enemy get you thinking that you've been defeated, that there's no more for you. Because with God, all things are possible. And when all things are possible, it means new beginnings can be fresh starts. And when you're moving on with God, you begin to see how faithful He is. Even in our unfaithfulness, He's still faithful. And that's where the basis is. That's what we build our lives on, is on the faithfulness of God, not on the frailty of man. Because man will let you down every time. God will never let you down. Because He is always, always, always faithful. And when you stand on Him, you're standing on a solid rock. 
Elijah's first responsibility is to go and anoint Hazel to be king of Syria. But it's a Gentile nation. Why in the world is Elijah going and ministering to a Gentile nation? Daniel 4.25 tells us, The Most High rules in the kingdom of men and gives it to whomever he chooses. God is sovereign over all the nations. He lifts up and he puts down and blessed be the name of the Lord. And so the very first thing that Elijah finds himself having to do is, oh, I've got to go to this Gentile nation, which is aberrant to anything. You think things were bad in Israel and Judah? Things were even worse in Syria. And yet that's where Elijah sent. Sends him to Hazel. Then he sends him to Jehu to anoint him king over Israel. And then he gets to anoint his successor, Elisha, and spend some time with him. But it's a fascinating thing because you see three individual assignments working with three individuals. Oh, wait a second. Elisha has been saying how lonely he is. He's been saying how hard it is because he's the only one left. And the Lord tells him, I still have 7,000 that have not bent their knee to Baal. Well, you'd think that there would have been an opportunity for a very big assembly. Oh, Lord, let me go and assemble all those Israelites who haven't bowed their knee. Getting together with 7,000 people, that would be pretty encouraging. Right? Why in the world would God take His star player, at least I'm sure as far as Elijah thinks, because remember, he's thinking he was the only one a few minutes ago, and so he's going, wait a second, you have 7,000? Let me go have a nice big assembly. Uh, Let me get at least together with a couple hundred of them. Yeah, that would be really encouraging. He says, no, no, I want you to go to three individuals. Why? Because God is working in the individual level. That's right. Okay? God is the one handing out the assignments. Now, what's interesting is Hazel, Jehu, and Elisha, by the time the end of their lives come, the worship of Baal has been wiped out. All but eliminated. Because they have followed through on Elijah's ministry. They have continued on in the ministry of Elijah. And through their work, Baal has been defeated completely. But you would think that surely the Lord would tell Elijah, this is what's going to happen. It's going to be a great victory. Oh, let me give you the details, Elijah, because I know I need to run my plans by you. I don't know. Didn't do it for Elijah. I've never had the Lord say, oh, here's the big picture. This is what I'm going to do, and here's how I'm going to move all the chess pieces over the board. No, because He's the sovereign God. Our job is to obey. Trust and obey. Not always easy. But look at what Elijah gets to do. He anoints two kings And he has given time with his successor, Elijah. That's amazing. For a guy who would, nine verses earlier, ask the Lord to take his life. He was so discouraged. So it doesn't matter how hard the road's been for you. It doesn't matter what you've gone through. None of those disqualify you from the Lord's service. In fact, it makes you better able to serve the Lord because you understand how little there is that you can do 
but how much there is that God can do. And that He is willing to use individuals to see His kingdom advance. Because by ministering to three people, Elijah sets about the rest of the worship of Baal getting beaten. That's something. But, that's all predicated on you've got to be able to figure out where the Lord's voice is, what it sounds like, so that you're able to go and meet with Him. Because unless you meet with the Lord, you're not going to be able to do anything. It all comes back to that relationship and that ability of Elijah to lay himself down to say, I may have been so caught in discouragement and depression, but I'm going to step out and go and meet with the Lord as He comes to meet with me. Because the Lord will not force Himself on you. It is always going to be your choice to turn to Him. Or not turn to Him. You will miss out on the great things that God has though. Where else are you going to get a meal that can go for 40 days? That's just amazing. I know it's right before lunch. I don't know what it is about it, but I fixate on it. But it's an amazing thing how merciful the Lord is towards us. That He's willing to give us those opportunities to meet with Him. Because that's where the restoration happens. Sometimes we're so busted up and broken and beat down that we have to have that time with the Lord. And it's not in the fire, not in the earthquake, and not in the wind. We may want those things, but oftentimes, if you look through Scripture, the Lord speaks in those quiet moments, one-to-one, as He did with Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. That's what He desires to have that relationship with you. That's different to anybody else. To anything else. That is so different that the Lord Most High, the King of Kings, the Creator of the universe, desires to meet with you. That it's not one of those things where you're just... "Ah." Because if you're on a mountain and the wind starts to blow and it's shattering rocks... That's scary. I don't care what anybody says. You're on a mountain and the wind starts to blow and rocks start to shatter. You're not sitting there going, oh, this is the best vacation spot I've ever chosen. Oh, I want to build a home here. Look, it's great. Look, the earthquake next. Oh, wow, this is awesome. Everything's sliding off the mountain. Now, when will I be next? Oh, wait, look, it's the barbecue of the Lord coming through. (laughs) The fire's everywhere. But Elijah stays in the cave, recognizing that it wasn't in the wind, wasn't in the shaking, wasn't in the fire, but it was in the still, small, quiet voice. And God will meet you like that. And He will continue to give you direction like that when you step out and meet with Him. So be encouraged. I know we all want the power. But the most important thing is the hope. Because when you have that hope that the Lord loves you and that He will meet with you, you will find that He will pour out His Holy Spirit into your life. And that's when you have true power. When you're able to walk in the Spirit of God 
bringing His holy presence with you wherever you go and seeing Him change situations. And it's amazing to see because when you see one heart changed by the Lord, it beats every earthquake, every tornado, every huge blazing inferno because you see the true power of God when you see drug addicts set free, when you see people healed, the captives loosed. It's an amazing thing. And God's desiring to do all of those things through you. He's only asking, do you believe? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow our hearts before You, Father, I'm thankful that there are times that You use mighty signs and wonders. But Lord, more than all of that, as the, as the hymnist, as the hymn writer said, you'll walk and talk with us in the garden. That in that still, small, quiet time, your voice will ring clear in our hearts and our ears. Father, I ask that you would pour out faith in this room. That you would help people to know not only of your great love, but to be able to hear your voice and your direction in their lives. Father, we look forward to the great things that you're doing in this community. Lord, strengthen us. Help those that are discouraged, that are dragged down, to be encouraged today. Lift their hearts as only you can. Speak hope and peace into their situations. And Lord, we look forward to the great things you're going to do this week. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. amen.